Well, Eden is almost two years old. Did you know that? Almost two. Some of you remember when she was born. I remember when she was born. I was even there when she was born. I caught her when she was born. Maybe that's too much information, but uh, yeah, no, I've been there the whole time with Eden, you know, she's my daughter and all that stuff. It's pretty fun, but about nine months ago, she started talking and saying some words and, you know, doing the best she can. It's not like she came out saying complete sentences. It started with dada and mama and yes and no. She actually learned no before she learned yes. Typical, right? Uh, But the process of learning the words is kind of fun and it's kind of cute, and you like every little thing they say, that is, until they start saying things that are not so good. Sometimes uh, they express their anger with their words. Have you ever expressed your anger with your words? You've ever done that? Yeah. Uh, That's something that everybody seems to do at some point, but one of the scariest things is once they start lying, and it only took nine months for Eden to tell her first lie. You want to know what it is? See, as a pastor's kid myself, I want to be careful how many times I rat on my kids in front of everybody because I know what that feels like to be ratted on in front of everybody, but I think you'll probably forgive her for this. Her mom asked her, hey, did you go to the bathroom in your pants? Did you go to the bathroom? And she said, no. And then she kind of gave her a guilty face and kind of walked away and walked uncomfortably away. And then she said, oh, wait, hold on. Did you go to the bathroom in your pants? Yes. It's like she told her first lie. And now she didn't know what was coming to her, right? Because you don't want to lie to Alexandra. That's not a good idea. So she got some discipline. But then you would think, hey, maybe it's just a one and done. Like I heard about it, you know. But by the time I heard about it, it was all day later. And, you know, I was ready to, you know, give her hugs and all that stuff. Because I wasn't there for all that. But then a couple days later, I asked her a similar question. Because I smelled something going on. And I said, Eden, did you go to the bathroom in your pants? And she said... No, backed away, gave the guilty face, did the whole routine. And I said, did you lie to me? Did you go to, and this is a dumb thing to lie about, right? Because, you know, she needs us to change her pants. She can't do it on, whatever, that's another sermon. But, like, she needs us to, to change her. She, she lied. And then she said, yes. And she got worse discipline with me because, you know, I'm dad. That's kind of how it works, right? But you don't want to lie to anybody that's significant. Certainly, we don't like being lied to. And for me, when I got these kids, I'm thinking, like, that's one of the most serious sins before God that I want to make sure they're not lying, right? And anytime people lie or make it a habit of lying, it will create this big thing in their life where they start to live a lie, right? You start to lie once or twice. You start lying a lot of times. Perhaps you do something wrong and you lie to cover it up, and then you have to keep living a lie so much so that at some point, the lie kind of caves in and the truth comes out. And that's certainly something I don't want for my kids. I don't want them to grow up to be liars. So what I would like to do is I'd like to stop them from lying in the first place. I want to like kill the habit before it really becomes something serious. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 11, that even a child is known for their actions. So even a little kid, how they act really becomes their reputation. And you know this if you ever work with little kids, you know that some of them are bad and you know that some of them are usually good. And the usually good ones, sometimes you give them a pass because they're usually pretty good, but you kind of understand when they make mistakes here and there. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about your own life for a second and wonder, are you a trustworthy person? Do people look at you and say, I believe what that person says because they've proved it? 
over time, their reputation, the way that they've lived with me, the way they've been honest with me, I know that person, they're not lying to me. Or perhaps if I asked your friends and your parents, would I find out about you that you actually don't have a reputation for being trustworthy, but you have a reputation for lying or maybe not just lying, but maybe manipulating or maybe exaggerating or maybe something that seems even smaller, just withholding the truth when you really should expose the truth. What kind of reputation do you have when it comes to honesty? I want you to think about that this morning. The reason I turn your attention to there is because that's what Jesus is going to talk about. He just talked about anger. He talked about lust. He talked about divorce. Now the fourth thing he's going to talk about in this little section is he's going to say there are people who do not keep their word. There are people who make promises and break their promises. And there are people who need to just start living honestly. Now, as a disciple of Christ, what I want to say this morning is Jesus calls you to be an honest person. He calls you to tell the truth. He calls you to not be a liar, obviously, but not even a manipulator and not even an over-promiser that makes such big promises that you can't fulfill. It'd be better for you to be a simple yes or no kind of person where if you said yes, I'd believe you. If you said no, I'd believe you and that your family and your friends would believe you. That's the kind of thing we want to strive for. So open up your Bibles and let's look at this together where Jesus puts this in black and white for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 said this was after the anger passage, this is after the lust passage, after the divorce passage, which you're like, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a weird sermon last week, because, you know, haven't been married, haven't been divorced, that's pretty easy, right? And you might feel something similar with this sermon, because there's a thing that was going on back in that day that I don't think happens in the same way now. There was this oath-taking culture that they had, where they would swear and maybe they would say, we swear to God. Maybe they'd say they swear to some kind of holy place. Or maybe they'd swear on their own head. Or maybe they'd swear on just something like that. And there's a little bit of that in our culture, right? There's people who say that they swear. Or they tell you, I promise, I promise. We use oath formulas today still. Maybe not so religiously. But we use them to try to show someone, no, I'm serious about this. Like, no, I, I am being honest. And we usually say that when it's either something that's really hard to believe that we're saying, or if the person that we're talking to does not believe us. We tend to use oath formulas like this. Now, they were using it all the time. So look what Jesus says. He brings up the law. He quotes the Old Testament. This is not a direct quote, but this is taking a couple different passages in the Old Testament and putting it together. He says, again, you've heard that it was said, this is verse 33, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. So the Old Testament even says that. If you're going to make a promise and then you're going to invoke God and say that as God is my witness, I will do such and such a thing in such and such a time, that was an oath, right? And there are some formal ways they could do that. But Jesus says, okay, you've heard that it was said, don't swear falsely. What does that mean? That means making a promise and saying this happened or that happened and it didn't happen, right? It's just lying. It's another way of putting it. Or Swearing falsely could be, I make a promise to do something, and then I don't fulfill the promise that I made. Okay, that might be even more common. That's probably the majority of what they struggled with back then. They're making promises to God. They're making promises to others and saying, no, I promise I will give you these crops, and uh, I, I swear on the gold of the temple that I'll give you these crops by this time next year. That was a common thing. 
that happened in Jesus's day. So he says, you've heard that it was said, keep your oaths. And while that's a good idea to keep your word, he says in verse 34, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all. It'd be better for you not to swear an oath by something sacred and then break your promise. It'd be better not to make any promises at all in that case. He says, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, that was one of the things they swore by, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool, for it's his, his footstool, God's footstool. That's a quotation of Isaiah 61, or 66, 1. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. So he's trying to say, don't swear by these things that you think are less significant than God, because traditionally in the Old Testament, if you were going to swear, you were always bringing God into the equation. But these Jewish people at the time of Jesus did something kind of tricky. They said, okay, I'm going to swear, but I'm not going to bring God into it. I'll just bring heaven into it or earth into it. Or the next thing he says, Jerusalem. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head. So all these different things that you could swear by. It's similar to how people say today, like, uh, cross my heart, hope to die. That's an oath formula. That's similar to this. That's saying, if I don't, if I'm not telling the truth, you know, I hope that curses fall on me, that I hope that I die, right? Now, we use those formulas. Hopefully, you don't use that formula because that makes you sound like you're from the 1950s. Cross my heart, honest, you know. (laughs) Sounds like you're watching like the Christmas story or, you know, like an old movie like that, right? Uh, But you might not use those phrases, but you might say things like, I swear to God, right? Which is something you probably should never say. Not probably. You should never say that. You don't want to swear anything to God. And the reason why is because if you do that, you're bringing the holy God of the universe that knows you better than you know your own witness. Like even you said, oh, that that happened. I know that happened. And then you start swearing to God. It's like, you don't know that happened. You might think you know that happened, but don't bring God into it and call him as your witness of things that you're not sure about. He says, you can't even make one hair of your head black or white. You can dye it and they could dye it back then. It's like, oh, is Jesus talking about, like, you, I can dye my hair? Like, I went balayage last summer, and it's like, yeah, I know. We can all tell. Um, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not calling anyone out, except my wife did that, and then she went back to brown, and then someone asked her recently, is that your natural hair color? And she said yes, and I said, hmm, is it, right? It is, but, like, it's mimicking her. Sorry, I, you look beautiful today, Alexandra. <laughs> you look great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I actually told, I told you, like, I like your hair, like, the way that it, it is, slash was, like, like, brown, like, that's, that's you, man. Am I digging? Okay, all right. Sorry. I'm just, the marriage sermon was last week, okay? We made it. Um, all right. What was I saying? Oh, hair black or white. Yes. Um, did you know that in the Roman Empire that they had hair dyes? They would dye, like, certain women would dye their hair blonde because that was, um, you know, in for a little bit. Certain people would dye their hair darker. So hair dye existed back then. What's the point? He's trying to say, um, you were not the one that chose what color your hair would be when it comes out, right? You, you did not choose that. God just did that, right? Who did that? God did that, right? Uh, whose city is Jerusalem, right? That's God's city. Who owns the earth? God does. Who owns heaven? Oh, that's right. God does. So here's the point. Anything you choose to like swear by, you're always swearing by God. If you make any oaths at all, because God is always listening and anything that you can like attach your promise to, 
God made that. That's, that belongs to God. You swear by on your mother's grave, right? That's another thing people do. It's like, well, that's God's timetable. That's God's life that he gave and he took. This is all God's. So don't swear by anything and think you're avoiding God. That was the real problem. It wasn't that they were just making oaths and thinking, yeah, God doesn't care. Their problem was they were making oaths with their fingers behind their back, so to speak. What they were doing was they'd make these oaths and say, no, I promise, I swear by the temple, I swear by the temple that I, you know, brought these crops at this time. Where it's like, ha, ha, ha. They can turn back to their, their spouse and say, did you, did you hear that? I said I swear by the temple. I didn't say I swear by the gold of the temple because that's the only thing that's binding. Swearing by the temple doesn't mean anything, but the gold does. Ha, ha, ha. If you think that's funny, right? Jesus actually quotes that in Matthew 23. That was one of the things the Pharisees were doing. They were saying, oh, swearing by the temple, it's not a big deal. Swearing by the gold, you know, then it's important. So they had all these weird oath formulas. Some they thought were binding, some they thought weren't binding. And one of the major problems was they were using oath formulas to convince people of lies that they told. They were lying and then saying, no, I promise, I promise, this really happened, this really didn't happen. It's a big problem. That's just a lying problem. That's why for you, you're going to hear this sermon and think, okay, when's the last time I swore on something? I don't think I've really, I don't think I've really done that. What I want you to see is that anything you say, yes or no, anything that you claim, anything you make a promise to, anything you do that to, is just as binding as an oath before God. Look at verse 37. He says, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, right? Even if somebody, if, if I told you a story, I thought about doing this for an intro, but I didn't because I thought it would scare you. But what if I told some made-up crazy story? Like, you know, I... I, when I went to Paris in 2017, I stood on top of the Eiffel Tower and I took a Frisbee and I threw it off the, the Eiffel Tower and we got arrested and it was so crazy. Like, if I told you, that didn't happen, but if I told you this story, it said, no, I promise, honestly, honestly, literally, right? That's another oath form that we use. Literally, honestly, seriously, right? Those aren't as binding of oath forms, but those are words that we attach to our sentences to say, no, I'm seriously telling the truth this time. If I told a crazy story and kept telling you, no, honestly, no, seriously, no, you don't believe me? No, seriously, at some point, you're going to be like, I would have believed you, but now you're adding all these, like, things that are trying to convince me. Now I'm starting to be suspicious of you. That's what he's saying. Anything more than this comes from evil. Like, as a Christian, in your daily life with other Christians, if you are constantly saying, no, I promise, no, I swear, do you know why that's happening? That's because there is a lack of trust in that situation. That comes from evil. Even if, it's necess- even if an oath is necessary, it comes from evil in some place, either on the speaker or on the recipient of that. We'll talk more about that later. But the point is, tell the truth. That's what we're saying here. Tell the truth, and don't make these big promises. Don't swear by anything, because that's just a foolish thing to do. Don't make these oaths. But if you're a Bible scholar, and I bring up the word oath, He says, don't make any oaths. You might say, there's actually a passage where God makes an oath. Is that right or wrong? Abraham makes oaths. David makes oaths. Joshua makes oaths. Jesus speaks under oath before the Sanhedrin. Paul makes many oaths. He even says in Romans 9.1, I swear that I wish that I was cut off. I wish I was separated from Jesus if all the Jews could be connected to him. So how do you reconcile that with what Jesus is saying? Okay. So there are some 
appropriate and inappropriate oaths that we need to talk about. So point number one, let's understand the biblical use and misuse of oaths. Because most of what was happening back then was a misuse of these biblical oaths. Okay, once you write that down, letter A, let's define what an oath is. An oath, oaths are solemn and binding promises, right? Uh, That's a lot to write down, but there you go. Point number one and letter A, oaths are solemn and binding promises. It's more than just agreeing to something. And today, we express oaths in a lot of different ways. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but every time someone becomes a doctor or a nurse, they take an oath. Anytime someone is voted into any form of high office, they take an oath. Anytime someone joins the fire academy or anytime someone joins a police department or anytime anyone goes into the military, they're making oaths, right? So the question is, is Jesus outlawing all kinds of oaths and saying Christians should never make them? Okay, there are some Christians who believe that. You know them by one famous word, as the Amish, okay? The Amish have a long history in church history, right? Might known, otherwise known sometimes before them as the Brethren, before that as the Mennonites, right? And they came from the Anabaptist roots, if you know anything about the Reformation and things like that. There are groups that believe, I cannot take an oath because Jesus says, you shall not swear any oaths. Don't take an oath at all. Is that what Jesus is saying or not? I think it's odd because after this, Jesus is going to go swear under oath that he is the Christ when he's before the Sanhedrin. And the apostles are going to be forced to swear under oath. So I don't think that's exactly what he means, but we'll get there in a second. So letter A, oaths are solemn binding promises. Another verse for you to write down here is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Uh, It's a passage that's not about oaths, but the author of Hebrews describes what God's oath to people is. It's interesting. He's talking about him to Abraham. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So if you and your parents were in a disagreement and they said, Hey, did you take 20 bucks from our, you know, cash pile or whatever? I don't know if you guys have. Sorry, that's really weird. But does your family have like a place where sometimes they keep like some spare cash? Yeah, and it's like, and they ask you, hey, did you take 20 bucks? 20 bucks are missing. And you said, no, I didn't. They said, are you sure? Do you promise? Do you swear? Right? You'd be like, I swear. Why would you swear? And if you want to bring anything else into it, I swear on my car. You could take my car away if I stole that 20 bucks. What are you doing? You're swearing on something greater than the actual amount, right? You're, you got $20. You're like, you got a dispute over $20. I swear on my car, which is more than $20, right? What God's word is saying is, that's what happens with oaths. We swear on something greater than ourselves, right? But what about when God makes an oath? It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all that, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. But who does God appeal to when he makes an oath, right? Well, the answer is nobody. It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What he's saying there is you can trust God. When he makes a promise about our salvation, which is what he's talking about there, you can trust him because God always tells the truth and then God swore by himself. So now you've got two unchangeable things, God and his character and then the oath that God makes because God can't lie. Now we've got two unchangeable things so you can really trust God. That's the author of Hebrews' point, but I use that passage to show you that's what an oath is. You swear by something greater than you. 
In Leviticus, God's rules about this were pretty clear. Some people think that this is what Jesus was kind of basing this all off of. Leviticus 19, 12. He says, you shall not swear by my name falsely. Remember back in our text where it says, you shall not swear falsely? This probably comes from this verse right here. Don't swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Right? That's one of the things that happens even in our culture. Even when some Christians start saying that they swear to God, what you're doing is you're taking God and his holiness, bringing it down to your level, and profaning his name. He says, don't do that. Don't swear falsely by my name. You're taking my reputation and dragging it through the mud. Not okay. So what's an oath? It's a solemn and binding promise. Secondly, letter B, oaths wrongly became ordinary and overused. So that's what happened in this culture. You know, if you were at a ceremony where a religious figure was saying, do you swear, do you solemnly promise to love this woman for the rest of your life in sickness and in health? And if you turn to you, the ladies, and say, you know, do you promise to hold fast this husband? Okay, and you make an oath. You swear. Is that okay to do? Right? I know it's okay to do. He just talked about not getting divorced. He talked about keeping an oath. So what's the difference? Well, that's a solemn promise. Don't go do that every Tuesday, right? Which is why, not to nitpick, but all these people that, you know, you want to renew your vows, it's like, I don't, did you break your vows? Right? Because you already promised, Right? I don't think you need it. I mean, you can if you want to, I suppose, but you've already kind of made that promise. Let's not overdo it, right? You've already promising enough the first time, and you probably weren't that good at keeping all those, you know, I promise, I promise, lovey dove, to always, you know, take out the trash when you want me to. It's like, no, you don't, don't write that in your vows. You're not going to do that. Don't promise that. That's an overused promise, right? Because you're not going to do that. You can promise to love that person the best that you can according to God's power. You can promise that. But then you got to live up to that, which you should when you're getting married. What, my point is, like, oaths are appropriate in a solemn occasion. They're not appropriate for everyday conversation. They're not appropriate for just throwing around. And that's what happened. The Bible actually warns about this in the book of Deuteronomy. So before you ever get to the time of Jesus, God said, you're going to have a temptation to swear all the time. Because remember, even back then, how did you know if someone was telling the truth? What you know, digital records were there? What, you know, camera footage did you have? You didn't have any of that. It was really hard to find the truth of what people did and what they didn't do. So you had to swear. But he says, if you make a vow, this is Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. Okay? But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Right? Don't make a promise to God that you can't keep. God's going to hold you to it, right? So don't make a promise like that because, yeah, God won't hold you guilty if you don't make that promise. Verse 23 says, you shall be careful to do what has passed your lips for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you promised with your mouth. So when you get married, is that a voluntary oath? It's not a voluntary oath because if you want to get married, that's a part of the package deal. You can't get up there and, you know, the pastor says, all right, do you swear? And you, instead of saying, I do, you're like, I'm not, I'm not big into promises or oaths. Be like, okay, um, you did not follow what we talked about in the rehearsal. You're supposed to say, I do, right? So there are some vows that are, like, not as voluntary. This was a lot of voluntary stuff. Like, I promise that if I get that grade, then I'll go, you know, 
do this for God, right? Careful, careful what you vow because you got to do it. Don't, don't make vows. Don't, don't make it a habit of making vows. You're going to bind yourself to things and then be guilty. In the Bible, Joshua made a vow to protect this group of people, the Gibeonites, and it was wrong, and he wasn't supposed to do this. He wasn't supposed to make a vow. He wasn't supposed to protect these people, but because he made a vow, God says, now you got to live with the consequences of your vow. Perhaps the scariest and worst situation in the whole Bible was in Judges 11 when Jephthah, a military conqueror, made a vow that if he had victory in a day of battle, he would sacrifice whatever walked out of his house first, thinking a goat or a ram or something like that. And who came out first? His daughter, his only child, right? He made a promise, right? Shouldn't have made that promise. Bad promise, sinful promise. But he kept his vow. He had to. Interesting. Why? Well, because he promised. That's how seriously they took vows, right? At some point in Israel's history, they started changing that. They started taking them not so seriously and using them to cover up their own evil. I quoted to you the, the Mishnah last time. You got a kick out of that. Um, I'm quote another thing. There's a guy named Philo who lived at the same time as Jesus. He was a little older, right? But he was a Jewish guy, non-Christian, but he worked kind of with the Romans. So we have a lot of his, his writing because he wrote about the Jews and he wrote about that. Um, another guy named Josephus, very similar to Philo. Philo was more of a teacher and a philosopher. Josephus was a historian. Philo says, when he writes, he says, there are some people who without any idea of acquiring gain do from a bad habit incessantly and inconsiderately swearing upon every occasion. So this was very common in Jesus' day. He says later, that which being is most beautiful and most beneficial to human life and most suitable for rational nature swears not itself, right? So he says, you want to be a good person, right? Don't swear because truth on every point is so innate within him that his bare word is an account as an oath. So complex point is like an honest person, their word is worth more than a liar's oath is what he's trying to say. Okay, so this was something that was very common back then. It got overused. Um, I want you to see this more carefully. Um, Matthew 23 talks about this. Turn to the right real quick. Matthew 23, you're going to see this. As you turn, once you get there, you can write down for letter C, oath formulas were used to hide deception. That's what they were used for in Jesus' day. That's why they became so common, I think, because people were using them to kind of just cover up their, their own sin. Once you turn there, Matthew 23 Verse 16, I'll read it for you. Jesus says to the Pharisees, these teachers who were teaching bad things, he says, woe to you, blind guides, right? You MLB fans, you think Angel Hernandez is blind, right? Um, not the Angel Hernandez who's in True North, if you're here. There you go, not you, other Angel Hernandez, the umpire. Blind guides, an umpire in baseball, you know what, they shouldn't be blind, right? A guide shouldn't be blind, right? He's calling these Pharisees. You're trying to lead people, but you're blind yourself. He says, what do you blind guides? Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold that's in the temple, then he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that had made the gold sacred? Which for them, notice what that's saying. They valued the gold and the money more than they valued God. That's actually what that shows. They viewed the gold is more sacred. That's interesting. Verse 18, he says, if 
if you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if he swears by the gift that's on the altar, then he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What's the point? Point is, these Pharisees were teaching people, oh yeah, you can swear by that. It's not binding. It's like, you know, crossing your fingers and putting it behind your back before you lie, right? There's different ways you can get out of your oaths, right? Jesus says that's foolish. Don't you realize that every word you say is in God's presence? It's not like when you say, oh, I swear to God that all of a sudden now God's like, oh, now I'm interested. What did you say? Okay, now I'll hold you to it. It's like, you know, even all your words in your normal conversation, God's gonna hold you to it. It's just even worse and foolish and frankly, irreverent, as in dishonoring to God to try to drag him in to all your promises. So we shouldn't do it. Yeah. He invokes heaven, earth, Jerusalem, your head, Letter D, this is kind of what I've been saying before, but all oaths, all of them, invoke God as a witness. So you can't say, I made an oath, but God is not a witness to that oath. It's like, well, God's a witness to every single oath. And remember, why were they doing this? They were trying to, like, use the rules to break the rules. They're trying to use the law to break God's law, which is very typical. That's what they've been doing with adultery, right? Oh, I'm pure because I haven't committed adultery. Yeah, but you've lost it in your heart. So you're using God's rule to cover up your own sin. Oh, I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm good. Oh, no, but you're angry in your heart. So you're using God's rule to almost cover up your own sin. Very interesting. That can happen. Back then, it could happen now. Yeah, you swear by the head, right? That's God's creation. You didn't do anything to make your body what it is. You did not give yourself your own DNA. You didn't, you didn't do anything like that. God, miraculously, in giving you life, has made you to be how you are, right? It's amazing, supernatural in many ways, right? And you are what you are. You didn't decide what you are. So even if you swear by your head, because you think, well, that's me. That's, I, I own my head. God says, are you sure? Right? Because you don't even own your head. You didn't even make your head. Right? God made your head. Even your body is made by God. So whatever you use to swear, just know you're always invoking God. He says, don't swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. You might say, oh, is it talking about like David or something? No. Psalm 48, 1 and 2 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. In the far north, in the great city, in the city of the great king. So Jesus uses that, he quotes that to say, whatever you use, right, you're bringing God into the picture. But letter E, this is probably most important for you. Some oaths are permitted for Christians. Let's talk about that. Right? Because this gets complicated. Like, are you saying that no oaths? No oaths means like I can't, you know, even be a Boy Scout. Oath, no oaths means you can't be a juror ever. And there are people, that's why I feel like, why do people like have religious exemptions from serving on a jury or serving in the military. Like, do you have a religious exemption? Once you hear that, like, oh, cool, maybe I can use that. You can't use that, right? Because you don't believe that, right? Unless you do believe that, and you're an Anabaptist or a Quaker or a uh, Mennonite or an Amish person, and then if you are an Amish person, we got a lot of talk, a lot of talking to do because you're not living very consistent. Um, you drove here in a car. You got, you know, 
shouldn't be here if you believe what the Amish believe, right? We're breaking a lot of Amish rules, right, uh, this morning. Yeah, okay. Can a Christian testify in court? Can they be a police officer? Can they be a doctor? Can they be a judge? Can they be an executioner? That's a good question. Interesting. Can you serve in any, you know, legal realm when the next passage we're going to talk about, right, this, is, this is why this passage and the next passage are connected because the next passage says, okay, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, if your brother slaps you on the cheek, right cheek, we'll give the left also. The point is, don't retaliate. Here's a question. Then can you ever stand up in self-defense? Can, can you be in the military? Because in order to be in the military, you're like doing retaliation strikes. Right? you got to think that through. And what Jesus is not trying to say here is no oaths at all. It's never okay because he's about to go do it. Paul's going to do it. God does it. He's saying no flipping oaths. No oaths where you're trying to lie your way around things. Oh, and by the way, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is not overturning the retribution principle, which that's what it's called, right, for criminals. That if you steal something, you should owe at least that much back. Jesus is not saying, no, no, no. No punishing anybody ever again. No, no, all those laws are done. He's not saying that. But in order to be a consistent, you know, Quaker, Amish, Anabaptist, all that, you'd have to say you have to be a pacifist, which means you can never go to war. You can't really even be a part of society. You've got to do things like be in the jury, and you've got to have doctors who have to take oaths and police officers and all these oaths, and they hate it so much that they say, we can't even live in society. We've got to go make our own society, which is one of the primary reasons why here in America you have a lot of Amish enclaves of people. They have to retreat from society because they can't vibe with everything else that's going on. I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to. It's a misunderstanding. He's talking about disciples' interpersonal relationship. So just like you, in your interpersonal relationship with your family, you shouldn't be making oaths. You should just tell the truth. Right? Oh, but when it's time for you to testify in a court case, when maybe you were a witness to maybe a car accident or something like that, you can put your hand on the Bible, you can swear, and you better, obviously, tell the truth when you're in that situation. That should go without saying. But yes, you can do that. I'm going to encourage that many of you take an oath before God that you'll love and care for the spouse that you choose one day, right? So there are some oaths that are not only okay, but are good. But just know, oaths are solemn. Oaths are not something that we should do all the time. We should never swear and, and use that language flippantly. Yeah. Jesus is not overthrowing the retribution principle. We'll talk about that more next time. But those are some biblical uses and misuses of oaths. So you're probably left thinking, okay, great. Well, good news. Again, like the divorce passage, I haven't done any of that, right? I, I don't swear. I don't, I don't like use, you know, people's name to invoke curses. Like that's very old time. I don't do that, right? Great. Well, here's a question for you. Verse 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Is that true of you? That when you say something, you're going to do it. And when you say yes, something did happen that it did, the way that you described it. When you say no, that didn't happen, is that true? Or have you, like I talked about at the beginning, have you gotten into a pattern of telling lies? Right? This is very important for you. Point number two, perhaps the more important point for us, I want you to earn a trustworthy reputation by telling the truth. Earn a trustworthy tr reputation by telling the truth. I didn't want to stop at saying earn a trustworthy reputation because here's a Mind-blowing thing, and some of you know this. Some of you have a reputation for being trustworthy, 
and you're not. Some of you people think that you're trustworthy, but you know that you lie. You know that you manipulate. You know that you exaggerate. But people think that you're telling the truth, right? I'm saying earn a reputation that's trustworthy by telling the truth. For some of you, that might start with saying to somebody, I lied about this. I did not tell the truth. Please forgive me. I exaggerated. I did. That's not really what happened. I said that happened. I said I knew that thing. I said I did, but I didn't really. Right? Some of us need to start that reputation, a real reputation of trustworthiness, by saying I wasn't honest before. Right? This is not about maintaining some fake Christian outer shell. This is about you sincerely and honestly being trustworthy. How do you do that? You do that by telling the truth. You've heard the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? What was his whole problem? He said, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. And everybody in the town came and was like, oh, there's a wolf, right? Oh, no wolf, right? And then they said, oh, this would be funny. It's like the old-timey version of, it's a prank, it's a prank, it's a prank, right? You keep pranking often enough, nobody will believe you by the way, right? If you want to make a YouTube account pranking everybody, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a downside of that. Nobody will believe you when you open your mouth, right? If you make a reputation based off of lying, people are not going to have an easy time believing you. You want to be trustworthy. Right? The boy who cried wolf lost all of his credibility because he just lied enough times. And then when it was really true that a wolf was there, the story goes, nobody was there to help him and, you know, kid got in trouble with the wolf. The bottom line is, right, you shouldn't need to make an oath. You shouldn't need to make an oath. But here's where I have to be careful. <laughs> For some of you, in order to be trusted by anybody, you have to make an oath because they won't believe you if you don't promise. You ever been in a situation like that? Where maybe the trust is gone, and it's like the people around you don't believe you, it takes some time to build that trust, right? And maybe for a little bit, you do have to promise that something is true. And that might be hard, but after the course of time of gaining a reputation for telling the truth, people in your life hopefully will stop demanding that of you, right? And by the way, if you're a person who does demand of everyone in your life, do you promise, do you promise, do you swear, right? Do you do that perhaps because you are a manipulative person and that you are a liar, right? Maybe you do that because you've lost trust with some people, right? And again, there's a time and place for making a person give an oath. Right? In a solemn occasion, and certainly in a situation where a person's not trustworthy, I can see where that might happen sometimes. But the point is, as Jesus says, anything more than yes or no comes from evil. And we shouldn't strive for that. Like We don't want to be a, a small group or a church or a ministry where you'll say something and then those people won't believe you until you promise or swear. Like That's not good. You know what would be a good thing is if like you just told the truth and you told the truth, and everyone told the truth, and no oaths would be necessary if everyone told the truth. Just like there'd be no need for you to lock your door if nobody would ever invade your privacy. No, if nobody would ever steal anything, you wouldn't need a lock on your door. You wouldn't need a passcode on your phone if everyone was doing the right thing. So oaths, in some ways, are God's concession for sin that's happening in the world and breaking of trust. So they can be helpful. But for you... I want you to think, when I talk, when I speak, do people believe me? That's very important, right? And why don't you ask another question, do I use any oath formulas, right? Maybe not, I swear by the temple in Jerusalem, right? <laughs> Probably not saying that, but some of you do use oath formulas a lot. 
Like, I promise, I promise, I promise. I swear, I swear. If you use that a lot, I want you to notice, like, why do you use those things? Is it because nobody believes you? Why does nobody believe you? Is, it, is that a you problem? It might be a them problem. I understand. You might be in a situation, maybe your parents refuse to believe you ever, right? And I know it feels hard, okay? Some of you are like that. But others of you, if you're honest, like, why don't they believe you? Perhaps it's because you haven't told the truth in the past, and you're in a hard situation, and you need to gain the trust back. But here's what you got to do. You got to gain the trust back by being honest and doing what you can to tell the truth. James 5 quotes this section from Matthew almost verbatim. James says, but above all, brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Point is, I want you to speak truth to your neighbor. That's what Ephesians 4.25 says. You might remember, this is actually our third sermon this year about lying and honesty. The first one was in January, where we were preaching through Ephesians 4, where it said, don't lie to your neighbor. Right? It's talking about Christians. Don't lie to other Christians. You're members of one another. You're one body. Don't miscommunicate. Don't be problematic in that way. Then in July, we studied Proverbs 12, which gave all these verses about telling the truth and reasons why people lie. I, I gave you all that, right? This sermon also about telling the truth the third time in one year about this. This is saying don't make flippant oaths and make sure that you're really keeping your word and that your word is trusted. In Ephesians 4, we quoted Zechariah 8 because Zechariah 8 is where that all comes from. Zechariah 8, 16 says, these things you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And don't devise evil in your heart against one another. And love no false oath. For these things I hate, declares the Lord. I want to remind you that one of the reasons we tell lies is because there are things that we're trying to hide. I want you to think, the greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about for his disciples. Why does, why does he say don't lie? Because if you're doing righteous things... There's no shame associated with righteous things when you're around righteous people. You might feel shame when you're around unrighteous people. You do something good. There's some social pressure on you. But when you're around other people that are doing what's right, there shouldn't be social pressure like, oh, you prayed this morning? Oh, how stupid. He, you know, like, okay. There shouldn't be that social pressure around people that are doing the right thing. Correct? But he's, the point is, if you're doing the right thing and living righteously and openly with integrity, you don't feel the need to lie the same ways that you do before. One of the main reasons we lie is to try to cover up our shortcomings. But if Jesus is trying to teach us to have greater righteousness that starts in the heart in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, why don't you just do the right thing first and then don't lie second? Like That would be kind of our, our goal here. Live righteously first, and then there's no reason to lie. There's no reason to cover up afterwards. There's a verse in Proverbs about honesty. I quoted it this summer, but I think it's a good one. Proverbs 19.22 says, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. What do you want from a friend? You want steadfast love. You want somebody who will keep their word, that will continue to be good to you when they feel like it, when they don't feel like it. And by the way, if you want to hang around a person, a poor person who's honest is better than a liar, better than a person who pretends to have what he doesn't have. Heard a story about a guy showing steadfast love this week. I, uh, I saw Pastor Jacob. I knew he went to this uh, funeral they had to go to for uh, his wife's uh, relative in Georgia. 
And I said, hey, how'd it go? You know, I just hadn't seen him. And he gave me this funny look, like I was joking with him. I'm like, what? He's like, did you talk to Pastor Lucas? I'm like, yeah, but no, not about you. Like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, oh, you don't know what happened. No, I don't know what happened. He said, so our flight was supposed to be for 8.30 in the morning. So it's Pastor Jacob, Amber, and baby Noah, right? Flight was supposed to be 8.30 in the morning from John Wayne. It didn't take off until 2.30 p.m., right? So six hours late, right? Whoa, that's crazy. With a baby, that's terrible. And he said, well, because it was six hours late, we missed our connecting flight in Dallas. They were going to go from Orange County to Dallas to Savannah, Georgia, where they were going, right? So they're six hours late for the first flight, so obviously they missed the second flight. There were no more flights to Savannah, and Savannah was the place that had to be the next morning for the funeral. So they said, okay, we can fly you to Atlanta, right? That can get you pretty close, and then you can drive. So that's what they did. So they flew to Atlanta, which was three and a half hours away with a car from Savannah. So they flew to Georgia. Their feet touched the ground in Georgia. Then they drove three and a half hours to Savannah. They got to Savannah at 5.30 in the morning the next day. And he said, yeah, we took like a quick little nap. And then we were up for the ceremony. And we went to the place where the ceremony was supposed to happen. And the chaplain just didn't show up. Like, he just stopped communicating. I think it was, you know, I don't know what happened. He's, the chaplain stopped communicating. So no one showed up. I'm like, did you do it? He's like, yeah, I did it, right? So Pastor Jacob stands up and does the funeral for his wife's whole extended family, right? Didn't plan it, didn't prep it, whatever. Just did it. And then now that he's kind of the guy in charge at that point, now he's responsible to get the body in the ground. And, well, where was the body? Where were we supposed to get the body in the ground? Oh, at a country cemetery an hour and a half out of Savannah. Okay, so get in the car, get the body in the ground, oversee all that. Great, get done with that. He said the first time I ate that day was 6 p.m. that night. And he said, and then Noah got sick. So when we got back to Savannah at about 6, Noah got sick. So we had to take him to urgent care out in Savannah. So then we went to urgent care. And then, yeah, then we slept and then we flew back. And all this was in the bathroom that we were talking. (laughs) That all didn't happen in the bathroom, but the story, I'm like, oh, man, sorry I asked, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad I asked, but wow, Pastor Jacob, right? Um, I thought about that, and I said, can I use that for my sermon about keeping your word? Because, like, that's a good example, right? Because, you know, you want a person who's going to keep their word. Like, the, I, I, I said I was going to be there, so I'm going to do everything in my power to be there. Could have quit at any point. But he did it. Could have stepped out at any point because he didn't have to do that. But again, as Proverbs 19 says, steadfast love is what's desired in a man. Like that's what you want to be. You want to be a reliable, trustworthy person. So my question for you is are you going to be like that? Is that how trustworthy you're going to strive to be? I hope it is. Let me pray. God, please help us with this. We need to be trustworthy. We know that we fall short in many ways. Pray that our Culture here in True North would be one of honesty and integrity. Pray that we would tell the truth in small groups, that we tell the truth in our accountability, that we just tell the truth in casual conversation. That there'd be no reason to doubt or question our sincerity or honesty because we develop a genuine, trustworthy reputation for telling the truth. Pray that you convict us if we're not living this way. Pray that some of us would start gaining this right reputation by confessing lies that we have been holding up for a long time. Pray that you would just bring about more righteousness and heart 
holiness because of this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.